God, thank you that you're unchanging, that you're faithful uh, to love us. You're faithful to uh, to be that hope for us. I pray that you would come and speak to us this morning, God, that you would open our ears, you'd open our eyes just to see your word, uh, to see what you have for us this morning. I pray you'd speak through Michael, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. So how has he been faithful? We've sung that. The question is, do we, do we know it? Have we experienced it? Do we believe it? How has he been faithful? Forgiveness. How does that show his faithfulness? Flesh that out. As we, uh, as I read in Ephesians, well, he has lavished us with grace. And that word "lavish" means more than enough. There is an abundance. We um, we see that in Jesus' life, uh, the feeding of the five thousand. There was extra. Uh, the wedding at Cana, there was, um, it was not only more than they needed by, by gallons and gallons, but it was, it was good. It was the best stuff. We have been lavished with grace. He has been faithful. What else? Faithful to provide for our needs. He provides for his for his people what we need. Ultimately, uh, again, spiritual blessings. You know, none of those things would be possible if we served a God who was uh, like a lot of other gods that people serve. Um, was a, a single person God. That would not be possible. We, we believe in what we call the Trinity. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Uh, maybe confusing, maybe hard to wrap your mind around. Nonetheless, that's been the consistent statement um, of the church for centuries. That we believe in the Trinity. Uh, that we have one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and none of those things that we've talked about or will talk about today are possible if we served a, um, what many people were in the beginning of this country, Unitarians. We believe in God the Father and Jesus was His Son, but certainly not deity. And the Spirit was sort of this force, kind of like Luke Skywalker got. If that were the case... Then, then the Christian life would really ultimately not be possible. We're going to flesh that out a little bit today. So first, uh, maybe a simple definition. What is Trinity? Um, Wayne Grudem says, God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and each is fully God, and there is one God. That's been said in, in similar ways, again, throughout the centuries. Um, that in common language. And I want to briefly walk through... Through just, just to make sure we know what we're talking about before we get into the meat of a passage in Ephesians 5. And if we're going to be turning there this morning, um, 
a great Trinitarian passage. You knew there was a great Trinitarian passage in Ephesians 5, right? What's interesting is it's all through the New Testament and we just sort of get used to reading and we don't pick up on, oh, he talks about the Father, Son, and the Spirit in that passage. Oh, in that passage. Oh, in that passage also. Oh, in that passage too. Um, in fact, Ephesians is one of those books where uh, four or five different places, Father, Son, and Spirit show up in the same passage and it's integral to understanding that passage like we read this morning in Ephesians 1. So I want to walk through just some verses and remind us that indeed the Bible does speak of the Father as God, as the Son as God, and the Spirit as God. So first, um, the easiest one to get maybe, we, we all kind of, because the Bible uses God and Father almost interchangeably a lot. Um, as we read this morning, Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father, referring to the same person. Jesus says in John 6, On Him the Father, God, has set His seal. James says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, again referring to those as one person. The language makes it clear. And then David writes in Psalm 68, A father for the fatherless is God in His holy habitation. Both Old Testament and New Testament speak of uh, God as Father. But we also speak of the Son as God. John 1.1, 1, 1, And the Word is with God, and the Word was God. And John makes clear that the Word refers to Jesus. There's no ambiguity there. We talked about a couple of weeks ago in um, Isaiah 40. Prepare the way of the Lord, John the Baptist quotes from Isaiah 40. And notice the Lord is in small caps. It's referring to Yahweh. And so when John the Baptist quotes that and he's talking about Jesus, he's saying Jesus is the covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament, clearly referring to Him as, as Yahweh. And then Paul writes to Titus, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not only Savior, He is God. We get to the Spirit and we get a little bit nervous because what do we do with that? Um, and again, there's a lot of people throughout history who've talked about the Spirit as this kind of impersonal force that sort of gets in us and makes us do things. Again, like Star Wars, if we use a semi-modern day analogy. Um, but first of all, I just want to walk through the Holy Spirit is personal. He, and there's, this list could be a mile long. These are just four. The Holy Spirit teaches in John 14. Um, he can be insulted, Hebrews 10. Uh, he speaks to believers, uh, communicates with them, Acts 8. Um, he makes decisions on how he distributes gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. He's not some impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is God and he's personally involved in our lives. Um, and then just the Spirit talked about as God. The Spirit of God was at creation in Genesis 1. Um, the Spirit of God is, is given to people, Exodus 31, when he, uh, the Spirit of God came upon Bezalel to uh, create things for the tabernacle. Uh, the Spirit of God anoints people, Isaiah 61, um, anoints the, the servant of God. And then Peter calls the Spirit of God in Acts 5, uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They show up and, and they lie and says, and you've, you've lied to God. And then in the next sentence says, you've lied to the Spirit. And the next sentence, you've lied to God. And he's, he's combining those into to one person. He's calling the Holy Spirit God, deity. Um, Sorry, academic, but just want to make sure we're on the same plane. The Father is referred to very clearly in the Bible as God. So is the Son, and so is the Spirit. 
And so the question is, so what? Does it matter? I mean, I said a minute ago that it, that it makes a difference. So what that we serve uh, a Trinitarian God versus a Unitarian God, like the Muslims serve? Does that make, should that make a difference in our faith? Does it make a difference? Do we know whether it makes a difference or not? I would say that you cannot live the Christian life without the Trinity. You have no basis for your salvation without the Trinity. You cannot relate to God without the Trinity. It's not possible. Um, again, if we served a Unitarian God, let's, let's think back to creation. If God were not Trinity, then He is in Himself, and what motivation is there? Um, and who has He loved for, if we say God is love, we believe that, who has God loved in all eternity? Himself? And if he's, if he's a unity, if He's not Trinity, if He's not Father, Son, and Spirit, what's there, what is there to love and why would He create? And if He did create, then because the love is wrapped up in Himself, He created you and your sole purpose is not for Him to love you, but for you to love Him, to be obedient and do what He asks. And there's very little relationship there. There's very little motivation. It's like we talked about a couple weeks ago, the, the policeman, right, who has all the rules, and you break the rules, and he gives you a ticket, or say he doesn't. Let's say he lets you off, right? You may be grateful, but is there any love involved in that? You drive your way, but, but our God has been loving, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, loving one another, a term that the ancients called perichoresis, sort of this... Uh, dancing among themselves, this, this relationship that's gone on for eternity past, because of that, and because of the enjoyment that the Godhead shares with one another, He freely desired to give that to His creation. And so we love, John says, because He first loved us. So Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, we read these words. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you would use it to strengthen our faith. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in all your glory, that we might live the life that you've called us to live. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So he says, be wise and not be foolish in verse 15, because the days are evil. But how do we get that wisdom? Where does that come from? Is that just, again, some impersonal force that we get, we pray, God, give me wisdom, and then you can always do the right thing? Well, look at Solomon's life. The wisest person that ever lived. And how did he turn out? Did he end up well? He didn't end up well. Um, ended up being deceived by many women. 
ultimately in one sense sort of forsaking God for the sake of, of idols. The wise, had all the wisdom you could ever ask for and it failed him because he was missing something else. And the Trinity gives us that. So first he begins with a, a command. In verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. So there's a negative command. Don't get drunk. Don't let something else control you. Now we can, we can back up a little bit and ask, well, why? Why should something else not control me? Um, Paul says it leads to a disorderly life. Dissipation is uh, debauchery. It's disorder. It's, it's the complete falling apart of any organization or any control that you have. And you may say, well, but I don't get drunk with wine. Well, the question is, but what does control you? The general principle here is don't let anything control you to the point where you lose control of what's going on in life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's television. You don't get drunk with wine, you get drunk with the latest show. Right, and you, you have that comes first. Maybe it's a computer. Maybe it's the stock market. There's something that's controlling you, that's that's keeping you from being what God would have you to do. He says, Don't get drunk with wine, but the principle is don't let anything else control you. When we learn that then from the next verse, he says, But be filled with or be filled with by the Spirit. Uh, the positive command. Let the Spirit of God control you. Uh, what that means is his, act, his, his life, His activity should live through you and in you. What He wants accomplished should be what gets accomplished. If the Spirit controls us, if we're filled by the Spirit, which is not the same thing as being baptized with the Spirit or indwelt with the Spirit when we come to salvation. It's that ongoing obedience to what God asks us to do. If you read through Acts, there are several times when believers are filled with the Spirit. Times when they're seeking Him, being obedient to Him, walking in His ways. And so, we can continually be, we can continually be filled with the Spirit as we go through our life. Being controlled by Him. Those moments when when we take over and we want to build our kingdom, then we're saying no, then we're not being filled with the Spirit. doesn't mean we've lost our salvation. We don't believe that. But we do mean that we can ignore Him. We can grieve Him. We can go a different way from Him. And usually what happens when we do that is our life ends up a mess. Because Paul says the wages of sin is death and, and ignoring the Spirit is sin and things die. Relationships die. Trust dies. Joy dies. Hope dies. And so He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. And then what happens the rest of this, this verse is there are four results. There are, it doesn't always show up in the English versions, but there are four participles that say, if you are filled by the Spirit, here is what will be the result. And so as we read through these things, and you go, well, that's not me. What's well, because... Whenever that's not you, it's because you're not filled with the Spirit. These are the results of being filled with the Spirit. 
So, the first one. 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How many of you ever seen uh, a musical? Any musical at all? Ever seen a musical? There's some of you who haven't seen musicals? That is sad. But the whole thing is what? Singing, right? They speak to each other in song, right? And that's what Paul is saying that we should do. Well, now wait a minute. Really? We should walk around singing to one another? John Michael, it's good to see you in church this morning. Is that what he means? <laughs> He's talking about when the church gathers together and communicates with in song, we really should be thinking not only about singing to God, but we really are singing to one another. A lot of music, especially a long time ago, and in other countries you go to now, it's what's called antiphonal singing. Is that right? Antiphonal singing? Someone will say a line, and then people will repeat, either repeat a line or a different line, a response back to the person singing. They are singing to one another. Encouraging words, the gospel, truth, psalms and hymns, um, Literally, psalms, they would sing those, and if you read through those, those could very well be sung antiphonally. There's a lot of parallel lines where one person would sing the first line, and then there would be a response with the second line. And then spiritual songs, songs that are um, empowered or given by, uh, created by the Spirit. In other words, if you are filled with the Spirit when we show up on a Sunday morning, we're listening to the words and being encouraged by the voices around us. We're singing to one another. It might be a good exercise for us to, to incorporate antiphonal singing. A lot of churches do responsive reading. Someone will say a line and then the congregation will say the say a different line back. Whether or not you walk around singing to one another, are you using your words to encourage one another? If you're filled with the Spirit, that should be a natural outflow because that's what God does. God speaks to people through His Son and through His Spirit with truth. And so do we do that? See, if, if God is not triune, then He's not relational. And as creatures made in His image, why would we be relational? One of the things about the church is it's supposed to be unity but diversity. There are different gifts that we all have, different personalities that we all have, different professions that we all have, different skills that we all have, and yet God calls us to be unified. Just like the Father, Son, and Spirit perform different functions, different roles in relation to our salvation and our sanctification, and yet they are one, united. And that we're like that because we're made in His image. But if He's unity, if all there is is Him and I'm made in His image, why do I even need to relate to you? I don't. Because I can bear His image by being single and solitary and alone. And so the Trinity is necessary for us to be relational because God is relational. 
The second response is praise to God. Second half of verse 19. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Literally that says singing and psalming. Singing and, and actually singing psalms to the Lord. So in addition to each other, a natural outpouring of being filled with the Spirit is that we are singing to God. Music has always been a part of what God has done with His people, what He has called them to. And so again, we gather on Sunday mornings, and I hope that you on your own and other places, whether out loud or in the shower or to yourself, are singing praises to God. would encourage you to spend time in the Psalms, repeating those back to Him. And many of those are Psalms of praise, singing to Him. Some are Psalms of lament and sadness and anger and frustration. And when you feel those emotions, it's a good place to turn to those and repeat those to God, sing those to Him as well. This is how I feel, God. I'm just like David. Not that he doesn't already know, but he longs for his children to tell him what's going on in their life. But see, if, if God is not triune, we can't do that. Because instead of a relationship with Him, there's only obedience. Like the, that's the only response that we possibly can have. Yes, I'll do what you say. There's no love in that. There's no joy in that. It is just simply a response. If God the Spirit is not involved in our lives, if it's just this impersonal force, where is there a relationship? If God is not triune, there's no relationship, there's only obedience. We see that in other religions, other parts of the world. You have to obey. You have to obey Allah or there are severe consequences. God longs for us to obey because it's good for us. And He offers us grace when we don't. The third thing, the third response for being filled by the Spirit is a thankfulness for all things. Verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. The Spirit makes known to us, John says, Jesus said in the upper room in John's Gospel, um, that He will reveal all truth to us. God gave us the Word and then gave us His Word. And so we have an opportunity because He's revealed Himself to us through the Son and the Spirit to respond in thanksgiving. The Spirit brings us into relationship with God so that we even can respond to Him. Interesting that it says that we do this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever it says in the name of somebody, that means in the authority of somebody. You don't have any authority to come into God's presence to be thankful. On your own, you don't have the ability to come into God's presence. So, here's, a, here's this thing. We're supposed to be thankful, which only happens by being filled with the Spirit. But let's say there was no Spirit. Let's say there was no Son. How are you going to do that? 
How are you going to approach the Father? If he's, a, if he's a unitary God, how do you get to Him? How do you gain access to Him? He's holy, you're not. If there is no Trinity, you have no ability to gain access to the Father. It's only through what the Son has done that we can do that. Very similar to in the Old Testament, the people would oftentimes offer what's called a peace offering or a thank offering to God for something that happened, a vow that God had helped them to fulfill, or just a response to something He had done for them. They would go and offer a, a, a thank offering. They would go and be thankful and be grateful, sometimes called a peace offering. But what did they have to do to do that? To be in God's presence, to go and be thankful, they had to take what? An offering. They had to take something in sacrifice so that they could be considered worthy to be in God's presence, to be even be thankful. Jesus Christ does that for us on the cross. The only way that we can be thankful is because of what Christ did for us. He is that sacrifice that allows us to respond in gratitude for what He's done. See, if, if God is not triune, then what's going to happen to us is we can't be thankful and therefore we will follow the pattern of Romans 1. If you read through Romans 1, there's a, a downward spiral of sin. People sin and God gave them over to their depraved heart and they sinned and He kept giving them over. There's this downward spiral of sin. You know how it starts? You know where it starts? Knowing God, they were not thankful, nor did they honor Him. A lack of thanksgiving, a lack of thankfulness to God is the beginning of a spiral of sin because we assume that we accomplished what has happened in our lives. We did it. Pride takes over. And from pride is a short step down into deeper and more serious sin and away from God. If God is not Trinity, we can't be thankful and we're stuck in our sin. And our lives will become more and more miserable and selfish. Not only miserable to us, but miserable to everybody around us. No one else will appreciate us either. The final result of being filled by the Spirit is verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We talked a good deal about submission in First Peter. We said a definition of submission is purposefully giving someone or something authority who at the very least will at times not have your best interest at heart. Purposefully giving someone or something authority who at the very least will at times not have your best interest at heart. Now, the good news is when we submit to God, He always has our best interest at heart. But the result of being filled with the Spirit is that we're, we're able to do that with one another. If, if God's Spirit is controlling me because the Son and the Spirit, who are fully God, have chosen purposefully to be submissive to the Father. The Son does what the Father says. The Spirit goes where the Father sins. So we don't have an example if there's not a trinity. We don't have the ability to do that. Right, if, there's, if there's no trinity, then my submission is just begrudging obedience. I might submit to you because you have more authority or more power over me, but I don't really want to. 
I'm not going to do it with joy and thanksgiving and delight like both the Son and the Spirit do for the Father. Jesus' goal was not, okay, I'll go to the cross if you want me to. It was to bring glory to the Father. He agonized it over in the garden, but ultimately it was not my will but yours be done so that you may be glorified. And notice that it says that we do that in the fear of Christ. In the Old Testament, there was always the fear of the Lord. We talked about what that phrase meant, the fear of the Lord. It's that, it's that the Lord is that object that is both my delight and my destruction. Again, the analogy of the sailor in the sea, right? He fears the sea, and yet he can't get away from the sea because in the sea there is freedom and joy and a vast expanse of wonder and discovery. And the only way that we can submit to one another is if we have that same attraction to Jesus Christ. Do we love Him and do we fear Him? And if we do that, then it really doesn't matter because you can't do anything to me. When I'm out at sea, the authorities on land can't get me. I'm free. If God is not triune, then the fear of the Lord, the fear of Christ, has no mingling with love. It's only fear of punishment. If there is no Trinity, if the Spirit doesn't indwell me to spur me on to love Christ, if God has not sent His Son to die for me, then the only fear is fear of punishment, fear of torture, fear of His wrath. There's no love mixed in with that other characteristic of God that allows me to serve you and submit to you out of fear of Christ. I'm only going to do it because I have to, and if I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. The Trinity allows us to be Christian. And if there is no Trinity, then there is no Christianity. If there is not a Father, Son, and Spirit who are all fully God, then we are dead in our sins. And there's no sense in relating to one another. And so as we, we think about a, a difficult concept like the Trinity, sometimes it is hard to wrap our mind around because we really do think that one plus one plus one is three. And there are people who will make fun of you for your poor math as a Christian. Nonetheless, the Bible is very clear that we serve and love and are saved by and are sanctified by and are ultimately glorified by God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. And may we plumb the depths of that by spending time in His Word and seeing for ourselves where those things come out and begin noticing, oh, there's the Father, oh, there's the Son, oh, there's the Spirit. As we read the words of the text and see what He has done for us and what He has called us to. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for um, Your Son that You have sent, that we could come into Your presence through His blood. We thank You for Your Spirit whom You have sent, that teaches us, that reminds us of sin, that leads us into all truth, that opens up Your Word to our 
finite and limited minds that we might see you in your glory. God, I pray that we would, as your people, respond as your image, personal, relational, loving, and kind, not only to one another, but to the world around us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.